Hey friends, welcome to another episode of A to Z with Nikki Lee. I'm your curious host, Nikki Lee. And in today's episode, we're digging into healthcare, which is another one of my top five issues that I'm focusing on during this campaign. And today we're going to talk about healthcare in regard to prevention, which is really a huge component when we look at addressing the overall healthcare system in the United States. And here's some facts and figures for you specifically on heart disease, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And these facts are from the Center for Disease Control, the CDC website. About 610,000 people a year die of heart disease in the United States alone. That's one in every four deaths. That's crazy. Heart disease is a leading cause of death for both men and women. More than half of the deaths due to heart disease in 2009 were men. Coronary heart disease is the most common type of heart disease, and it kills over 370,000 people a year. Every year, about 735,000 Americans have a heart attack, and of these, 525,000, over half a million, are a first heart attack, and 210,000 happen in people who have already had a heart attack. So what if heart attacks were 100% preventable? What if there's a very affordable non-invasive heart scan that can tell you your risk factor for having a heart attack years in advance? And what if you could start taking medication to shrink plaque that had built up in your arteries so that it never built up enough to cause a heart attack? This week, I'm talking to Dr. Tom Perry, a cardiologist in Phoenix, Arizona. We'll be talking about the coronary artery calcium score, CACS. Hopefully you had a chance to watch The Widowmaker, the documentary film on Netflix, and you already know what I'm talking about. But if not, Dr. Perry is going to tell us all about it today. Dr. Perry is a cardiologist specialist in Phoenix, and he's been practicing for over 44 years. He graduated from the University of California, San Diego in 1974. Well, thank you so much for taking time to sit down and answer some questions because I'm really fascinated with what you've been doing um, in in the field of cardiology and healthcare is one of those issues that's at the top of my list on my platform that I'm running for the House of Representatives on. And it seems like the more I dig into healthcare, a lot of recurring themes of prevention comes up, you know, in terms of containing costs and, and keeping people healthy, it really comes down a lot to prevention. And I just wanted to talk to you because I had run into you a couple times and we got to know each other pretty well and I learned more about you and what you're doing as a cardiologist here in Phoenix. So let's take a moment just to chat a little bit about you. And you, let's see, you have been a doctor since 1974 and specifically in cardiology since 89? Yes. Amazing. And what, how did you, or what, what interested you to get involved in cardiology from just general medicine? Well, I, I noticed that cardiology had so many uh, effective treatments uh, and that also that there was a lot of successful scientific uh, research that had explained a lot of the uh, pathologies and the, the best treatments for them and that, that it was an area in which progress was being made and affected uh, so much of the rest of the, uh, the heart affects so much of the rest of the body along with the vascular system. And in internal medicine, it's the largest subspecialty. Um, <clears throat> and then 
also when I was in training, um, I um, got to know some cardiologists, and so I just was more and more interested in that area. Wonderful. And when I talked to you last time in person, um, you told me to watch the film The Widowmaker on yes. Netflix. So I'm going to make sure that we put that in the show notes so everyone can check that out because that gave me a really great understanding and really got me excited to talk more about um, the coronary calcium CT scans that you work with. But um, before we jump into that, I'm just curious to know how you actually got turned on to this, um, this scan that's available. The, the use of the CT scan to study the coronary arteries came up in the 1990 to 1992 time zone with Arthur Agatson, who also wrote the South Beach Diet. And, the, and now we still use the Agatson score to measure how much calcification there is of the coronary arteries. It makes a lot of sense to think that the harder the arteries, the more advanced the disease is uh, of those arteries. Um, even in grade school, I remember hearing about hardening of the arteries, and that's a big deal, and the hardening is caused by calcification. So when that score came in, uh, initially in the, in the early 90s, it was picked up by the Arizona Heart Institute in Phoenix. Dr. Dietrich was the head of that, and he was pretty much on the cutting edge of research. And then he brought in specialists, cardiologists that were interested in that, and they participated in research projects on the national, international level. And they also tried to get it out to the public and set it up so that people could come in uh, and get their own calcium scores without a doctor's order. Um, then in the 90s, the Heart Institute developed a reputation among the doctors that they were overly aggressive so that they used the calcium score to generate more invasive tests, uh, heart catheterizations, and that was considered to potentially lead to unnecessary uh, coronary interventions, including bypass surgeries. And so it was um, interpreted as possibly a scam and downplayed by a lot of the doctors. But the research kept going, and the studies were coming up showing that the calcium score was a good way to identify people with high risk. Um, in 2001, I got a letter uh, inviting me to come and have a free calcium score since I was a cardiologist, and they were offering it to, for free to cardiologists. Um, and so I, at that point, I didn't know what to think about the calcium score other than that it was interesting, but I didn't think that it applied to me uh, because I don't have any risk factors. Uh, I don't have a family history. Uh, I don't have diabetes. My blood pressure is always low. My cholesterol profile always looked good. But then one day in 2002, I had some time in the afternoon and went down to South Scottsdale where the facility was with the um, scanner and I got my calcium score, and it turned out to be 400. That's a high-risk score. Um, the uh, zero is the best. One to 10 is minimal plaque burden. 10 to 100 is mild. 100 to 400 is moderate. And over 400 is severe. So I was in the severe range, and I realized then that 
uh, my prognosis was much worse than what I had thought. Um, and so from then on, I'd been taking statins, and I developed more and more interest in the subject and studied it and went to conferences um, and started giving talks on this subject to medical audiences uh, back in about 2005. And every year since then, I've given maybe three or four talks. Um, and each time I give a talk, I update the, my uh, uh, literature basis for the talk. Um, and at the same time, the treatment of atherosclerotic disease has become stronger and stronger after the advent of the statins in the late 80s and then coming on strong in the 90s and then developing stronger and stronger research basis so that now uh, statins are um, among the, it, probably the best proven medical treatment uh, in, the, uh, in the whole spectrum. Um, and then it also has come up that even though it is the best proven treatment for reducing cardiovascular morbidity and mortality, the uh, utilization is very low compared to what it should be. So the, the, the impact that potentially is available for uh, preventing cardiac disease is lost. So you have a really cool picture in your slide deck, and hopefully we could use it on our show notes, of actually a visual representation of how the statins work. So for people who may not have any idea you know, what statins are, could you explain how that medication actually what it actually does inside the arteries? The, the most important uh, mechanism of action is that the statins inhibit a liver enzyme, which is a key enzyme in the synthesis of cholesterol. Because most of the cholesterol in the body is synthesized in the liver. There's only a very small fraction that comes from the diet. The, uh, the discovery of the, um, of the statins and how, that, how they work in inhibiting that enzyme is actually an extremely interesting story. Um, there was a, a Japanese farm boy um, who, <clears throat> when he got to the university, turned out to be very, very smart. And became interested in biochemistry. And then he was uh, becoming a, a graduate student in the mid-50s. And, um, and he witnessed the, um, the discovery of the complete chain of enzymatic synthesis for cholesterol, which involves about 15 or so enzymes. And so he, he developed the idea uh, that, um, that if you could inhibit the rate-limiting step in cholesterol synthesis, that you could then knock down the cholesterol level in the, in the blood and have a big impact on any disease that's caused by cholesterol. And so his name was Dr. Endo. And... So he um, showed himself to be a very good scientist and then got the backing of a drug company to do his whatever research he wanted to do. And he was interested in 
um, the chemicals that were produced by fungi. And so he started a series of um, experiments with taking different types of fungi and then taking the broth from the cultures of those fungi and putting it into um, a, a system which would um, demonstrate the, the um, rate limiting step in cholesterol synthesis and, and to, to synthesize cholesterol. And so he, he tried out um, 3,800 different fungal preparations, and none of them worked until he got to 3801. Wow. And then one of them worked. That's and, tenacity right there. Yes. <laughs> Gosh. And so once he found that, then that became the beginning of the whole field of the statins. And then they finally came out on the commercial level in the late 80s. Um, so what actually happens then in the artery? So if there is plaque in there and you start taking statins, what actually happens inside there? What kind of effect well, the, the, probably the reason why there's so much variability is that the arteries, the endothelium, the inner lining of the arteries, has defenses and weaknesses. And the, the weakness is allowing the, um, the LDL, the low-density lipoprotein carrier of cholesterol, to enter the wall of the artery and then deposit cholesterol. It can start as, say, at age 10, and by the time you get into the 30s, probably at least half of the people have cholesterol plaques in their aortas and in their hearts. Um, and this was found in the Korean War. They did some autopsy studies on soldiers that were killed, and they found that these soldiers who were in the 18 to 30-year age range had a lot of plaque buildup. And that was pre-McDonald's and fast food that they saw that. Cause in, in Korea. Right. right. <laughs> wow. That surprises well, but me. But that was when the smoking rate oh. um, of American men was mm -hmm. over 50%. The, so the plaques are building up. We don't know who has them. The risk factors help, but the calcium score is better than the sum of all the other ways of making an assessment of, uh, of who is affected and how bad the prognosis is because uh, it's an individual measurement of specific pathology for the individual and not just the averages of millions of people that have certain levels of, of um, blood pressure, blood sugar, good and bad cholesterol, exposure to smoke, things like that. In the film, The Widowmaker, there was a lot of discussion on how prevalent heart disease is in, in America and how many deaths we have per year com in comparison to cancer and all the other uh, diseases. So what is the problem, really, that we're trying to solve? The Widowmaker is a very good film. And one of the reasons that it's such an outstanding production is that it answers the question that most people have about the calcium score. Why don't I know about it? Why doesn't my doctor order it? Why isn't it available? Why doesn't insurance cover it? If the insurance co doesn't cover it, why would I even want to get such a test? Because they would cover it if it was an important test. And the Widowmaker shows that, that um, 
the reason it's not available is primarily because it's a threat to some part of the sector of the healthcare industry, uh, which depends on interventional procedures that could be prevented by um, by early diagnosis of coronary disease. Somewhere around 30 to 40% of all the deaths are coming from cardiovascular disease, and cardiovascular disease um, contributes to the morbidity in many people who die of other causes, too. So the, the overall impact is probably more than half the people. Wow. Um, and um, so it's a, it's a very big issue. It's probably the, the leading um, focus of uh, most uh, medicine. Mm -hmm. And recently, Bob Harper, who's a pretty well-known person on TV, he is the trainer on the TV show The Biggest Loser. He focuses on diet, nutrition, exercise. He's kind of the epitome of health for a lot of people had a massive heart attack, a near-fatal heart attack. So you know, how does diet and exercise and all of that contribute? And maybe there's a hereditary factor in this. Um, you know, basically, why does that happen to someone who is so healthy, you know, on the outside and fit and, and eats right? The cause of atherosclerotic disease of the arteries is multifactorial, and some of it is unknown. I have several patients at least five, that have extremely high cholesterol levels, very, very dangerous-looking cholesterol levels, but who have very low cardiovascular risk. I, I have one patient that's in her 70s that always runs cholesterol in the three to 400 range, um, and, and yet she has a coronary calcium score of zero. Mm -hmm. And just to make sure... I also did a coronary CT angiogram to look at the complete arterial free, and it was clean. Wow. But I, she's not the only one, just in my practice. So it has to be common for, for me to see a lot of cases. I'm only one doctor. And so people can look like they have very high risk and actually have very low risk. The calcium score can help us to identify people like that. But much more commonly, people um, have low risk or intermediate risk, and then the calcium score can show that they really have high risk. Speaking of high cardiac risk, I talked to you about my husband, who I did ask him if it was okay for us to talk about this on the podcast because I respect his health privacy and all that good stuff, and he's okay with us talking about this. So my husband is 40. He is African-American. He has a history of heart disease in his family. So I reached out to you and I said, you know, I was kind of freaked out after watching the documentary and was interested to try to get him tested. And I went with him to the, to the clinic to get that done so I could see what the experience was like. And it literally took five minutes, if that, you know, fully clothed, very simple process, uh, very non-invasive. So in terms of the test, it was really simple. It cost us $85.20. That was it. Like you said before, it's not covered by insurance, which hopefully we'll be able to work on that through legislation. 
hint, hint, but um, very simple, very affordable for, for a lot of people. For some people, that's not. That's a week's worth of groceries, right? So there's, there's an issue there with everyone being able to access that. Um, but his score, you said, came back as a 12, you said, and he's in his 40s. So do you want to talk maybe about how when you got that score and what you did for him since he's younger and what you, what you saw there and what your thoughts are on treatment for him? Yes. At age 40, this, you would hope that the score would still be zero, and you want it to stay zero. And I have patients in their 80s that still have zero. Um, but as the age builds up, there's a tendency for the plaques to form. And it's a highly individual matter. Um, but a 12 score in a man age 40 puts him above the 90th percentile. So I think that he would be high risk. I haven't seen his complete risk profile, but just based on that alone, I would say that he should start statin treatment. I would probably give him a low-intensity statin, but catching it at such a young age, um, that that's a tremendous opportunity for prevention um, because <clears throat> he will once he's on the treatment, we have a good result, and we will. Um, he will no longer have a buildup of plaque. That would be good. I'd like for him to stick around for a while. So, <laughs> so that's good. I think our kids would too. So, in terms of frequency, so let's say he starts statins and he's on them. Do you do you have the calcium um, scoring test done? You know, every couple of years, or how, what is the the follow-up process to see how things are working? Uh, generally speaking, um, we don't really need follow-up calcium scores if the person is found to be high risk. However, from the patient viewpoint, knowing that adherence to the treatment is a major problem, I often will get a follow-up score. And then when the patient sees that the calcium score has gone up, they will realize that the risk is still there. Um, now, if somebody gets a zero score, then I, I routinely recommend repeating it in five years. Because after five years, uh, the chances of going up into having a positive score uh, is about 25%. So we probably have a lot of people who are outside of Arizona that are listening to the podcast today. And if they're interested in finding a, a way to have this test done because maybe they have risk factors or they're having symptoms and they've been told that everything's fine, but they still feel like maybe they want to get this score, um, how would they go about doing that? There's a number of ways, but... The main thing would be just ask for your doctor. Ask your doctor to give an order for the test, and he's going to know where it can be done. And if he doesn't know, he can find out easily if he wants to. Would this be a primary doc? or? Yeah, it could be. Really, any doctor could do it. But the most common example would be a primary care doctor. Okay, and you said that most uh, larger cities or metropolitan areas probably have options for people to be able to they'd have the equipment necessary to be able to do the scan i would my estimate is that every 
significant sized city by now would have some place that would do it. I may, you'd have to say 100% of radiologists have access to a CT scanner. Uh, but you need a, an EKG gating system to coordinate the heartbeat with the CT scanner. The, the, the highest number of radiology facilities don't have that EKG gating machine. But a lot of them do. So um, the, it's, it shouldn't be hard to find these days. And speaking of that, um, when my husband went in to get his, I asked how many on average every day that particular location sees um, patients in for that scan. They said about two patients a day. But overall in Tucson, between all of their um, locations, they have about 15 a day. And the Tucson metropolitan area with, you know, all of the, the cities outside of Tucson, it's approximately about, you know, about a million people. And there's only 15 that are coming in for these tests today. So what do you see as the future for this test? I know on the film, The Widowmaker, they call it, you know, they related to a mammogram of the heart as, as a preventative. But what do you see as the future for this or the potential? Well, the, you could... The, the way that it relates to a mammogram is the radiation exposure. But for, the, for a CT calcium score, there's a good chance that you only need one in your life. And if you need more than one, it's probably going to be one every five years. So the, the radiation exposure from a calcium score is really much lower than from a mammogram. So what are some of the challenges that you see with with only in tucson 15 people a day that are aware of this test and aware of the prevention do you feel like i, I know that's why we're doing this together today is yeah. to try to help raise awareness for this but do you feel like this will be more widely adopted in medicine or do you think there's some barriers to that yeah well the it's inevitable that it will come in as a class one indication. And when it does, then the insurance companies will, will be required to, um, to make it a part of their preventive services. But up till now, that hasn't happened. On the other hand, I do see more and more of a positive um, attitude towards the calcium score coming out in conferences and in various articles so that I, I, I think that the truth will, will prevail, um, and it shouldn't be too long, but I just don't know how many years that's going to be. So you'd be okay with people being advocates for their own health if they hear stuff? Because I know a lot of people will wait for that referral. They'll take, you know, they, they won't push back at all. I mean, what are your thoughts? What would you tell people in terms of advocating for their health? The progress of science is uh, connected with education. The more that you know, the, more, the better off you're going to be as far as being able to prevent bad things from happening. Of course, people feel comfortable not knowing. But in this case, if you find out that you're high risk, there is very effective treatment. And, and when I give my lecture on this subject, 
I put the emphasis on the treatment, not on the diagnosis. And but that but still the diagnosis is a very big factor. Um, and so we want to know how much risk there is, and the higher the risk, the greater the need to get the treatment. And we have a test now that's very, very good test, an extremely easy, cheap, low risk, and yet gives more information than any other test. Uh, so I would say you should get it. Well, that, that sounds great. I know I learned a lot about this. If folks listening haven't seen The Widowmaker and you like documentaries, it's a great documentary that explains even more about um, the issue that we're facing here in America and the coronary calcium CT scans, how it works. So I would encourage you all to check it out if you feel like Dr. Perry says, if you have risk factors that exist and make sure you take care of yourself. So thank you, Dr. Perry. All right, guys, I know that was a lot of information. I hope you learned a lot. If you feel inspired to connect with your doctor in your area, whether you're in Tucson or another part of the state or country, please do so. Make sure you tune in next week for another episode of A to Z with Nikki Lee. And until then, keep growing, keep going, and lead with love.